Good morning. Welcome to Crossview Kids. We're so glad you got to watch baptisms with us. I know you're itching to go to Sunday school. You can head on out right now. Uh, parents, if you need to escort them to make sure they get there, uh, you can feel free to do that. Uh, the rest of us, welcome. Thanks for being in the room this morning. Special welcome to the Wood County Jail. Uh, glad you guys are tuning in uh, via stream this morning and grateful that you get to worship alongside of us. Well, belief is a complicated thing, isn't it? We talk about belief and believing in churches a lot, right? And authors and theologians and people write about this. And J.I. Packer, in one of his books, uh, talked about the idea of belief and pointed out, you know, kind of the weirdness of it. Because we say things like, I believe in UFOs, right? And some of you are like, yeah, that's me. I believe in UFOs. Well, what does it mean to believe in a UFO? Well, it means... Right, that we think that there's probably life out there somewhere, not on Earth, and they're flying and visiting us and checking out our planet or whatever. We believe in UFOs. Or we say something like, I believe that democracy is the best form of government. Well, what does that mean? That means that I think that democratic principles are the best and most just and most right things that benefit a nation as they seek to govern themselves. But then, as Christians, we say things like, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus, and that, that must mean something different than I believe in UFOs or I believe in democracy, right? Because I can believe in UFOs and then never do anything with that except have some weird conversations with people at the grocery store and, you know, make them think that I'm this strange person. We can do that. We've all been there, right? No, just me. Uh, or we can say, um, I believe in democracy, and we can never cast a vote. We can do those things, right? But, but when it comes to Christianity, we, we can't do that, right? Believing in God or believing in Jesus or saying I'm a Christian means something different. So what does it mean to believe in God? And is there reason to believe in God? And do we even want to believe in God? And do we want to continue to believe in him year after year for the duration of our lives? Those are some of the questions that we're going to wrestle through this morning. Easter Sunday uh, was almost a month ago now, and I bet you thought we were done talking about Easter and the resurrection, right? Because all your decorations are put away. You've eaten all the candy, all those delicious peeps. I know that's a hot take, controversial. Those delicious peeps, though, are all gone, and, uh, and you're kind of done celebrating. But the reality is, uh, if you look on your calendars, uh, um, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, Holy Week, really kick off the Easter season. Uh, and as Christians, historically, we've celebrated Easter for something like 50 days after Resurrection Sunday, uh, as Jesus interacted, and then we get to Ascension Sunday, and then Pentecost, and all those things. So uh, as you heard, we're uh, interacting with another post-resurrection story this morning, and just know that's not weird. Uh, churches all around the world historically have done so. <clears throat> so would you open up with me to John chapter 20, uh, verses 24 to 31. I'm preaching from the NIV this morning, so the New International Version. Uh, it's on page 881 in the Worship Center Bible, if you're using that. Otherwise, if you open up your app, uh, whatever Bible app you have, that's uh, fine to do. If you have a Bible and you don't know where it is, uh, it's about three-fourths of the way through. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If that doesn't work for you, there's a table of contents at the beginning. Uh, always feel free to use that. We all have to use the table of contents to find a book from time to time. No big deal at all. Uh, and just as an aside, I want to encourage you to be bringing a paper Bible each week. 
Uh, I think it's a great idea to get to know God through the pages of these words. Phones are great. It's awesome that we always have access to God's word in an app. But if you're anything like me, uh, that notification comes through. Someone texts you or you get Facebook or whatever. And even if you swipe it away, your mind is immediately right, a thousand miles away. And you're thinking, oh, what was that? And you're distracted and you have to refocus. Paper doesn't do that. So uh, I encourage you to get to know God through this by bringing it each week. And we also, if you have a bunch of translations at home, we typically preach from the NIV. Uh, so if you're looking to follow along with the exact words we have, uh, NIV is usually what that is. So as we open up God's word together, uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for who you are, for the way that you change lives. Uh, it's such a privilege to be able to celebrate baptisms this morning and hear how you've impacted people and see their stories and their lives uh, changed by the truth of your word and the power of the gospel. We recognize the privilege that it is to gather freely in your name this morning, and we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we know that your spirit is among us, and so we ask that by him you would be encouraging us and equipping us uh, speak to our hearts and our minds this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the main point and the title of today's sermon is simply this, just believe, just believe. And as we work through this text, hopefully you'll see why. Sherry read for us earlier the story of a man who has been unfortunately referred to as Doubting Thomas throughout church history. Well, what happened in this story and leading up to this story? Well, the disciples, uh, as Pastor Dan talked about a couple of weeks ago, are uh, distraught, right? Jesus, not that long ago, has been crucified. He's put in this tomb. He's dead, right? And he's raised, but the disciples don't really know that yet. And so they gather in this house and the doors are locked and Jesus appears to them and they're overjoyed and uh, he says, peace be with you and things are looking good and, and they should believe, right? But Thomas wasn't there at that first encounter. We don't know why he wasn't there to see uh, the first interaction with Jesus being raised. Maybe he was mourning, right? After all, Jesus was dead. This, this rabbi teacher, savior that uh, said he was going to rise again, well, he was dead and so he's weeping. Maybe he missed the memo that there was this gathering of all of his friends, but the other disciples, seeing Jesus, rush out to tell him that they, they've seen him. Jesus is alive, but Thomas just doesn't believe it. All right? And I know he gets a bad rep for this, right? but can you really blame him? Like Jesus was dead, and he went to the cross, and the Romans were experts in killing people, and Jesus, or Thomas knew that Jesus was dead. He'd, he'd been put in, in the tomb, and and it's just really hard to believe, right? A few people had been raised from the dead in Scripture, but Jesus was the one who raised them, and so the raiser was dead. And so what, what are we going to do here? It's just, it's just really unlikely, right? Even though Jesus said, I'm going to rise from the dead, this temple's going to be destroyed, and it's going to be rebuilt in three days, and, but they didn't believe it, right? They scattered, and they denied him, and, and on and on. And so Thomas is like, really, guys? I, I just, I don't think so. He's not convinced by the words of his friends, his closest friends for the last three years. And he says, unless I see Jesus' hands and touch his wounds in his hand and where the spirit was and throw my fingers in there, I will by no means believe. And then in verse 26, a week goes by and the disciples are gathered in that house again. And this time Thomas is with them, but the door is still locked and they're still afraid for their lives because they think that the Jews are going to come after them or the Romans are going to come after them and kill them just like they just did to Jesus. So they're in this secret hiding place and the door is locked 
And once again, Jesus comes into this room and stands among them. Peace be with you, Jesus says. And then to Thomas, he says in verse 37, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas is true to his word and immediately confesses his belief in Jesus as his Lord and his God. I'm going to make a few observations about this story as we work through, and then um, we're going to dial in on the last couple verses, and then we're going to have uh, another testimony, uh, and then we're going to conclude. So, first, notice what happens to Thomas in the middle of his doubt. Jesus moves towards him. Jesus moves towards Thomas. <clears throat> this is profound, right? Because Jesus is Jesus and he's just gone to the cross and he's just bore the sins of the whole world and he's, he's died, right? And he's been buried and he's been resurrected and he told the disciples that this was going to happen and yet they denied him and they didn't follow him and they, they, they did all these terrible things, right? And now here's Thomas and he says, I just can't believe it unless I see it for myself even though his closest friends for the last three years assure him that it's true. Well, if you're at all like most people, you think that when you're like Thomas, and when you struggle with doubt and you struggle to believe, that God is disappointed with you and he pulls away. That's how we feel, right? We think our faith should be stronger. I should believe harder. I should believe better. There's no, there's no space for my struggle as I wrestle through this difficulty and the guilt that I feel for my sin and the guilt that I feel for not believing and for my relationship not being, that's definitely warranted. I should feel guilty. After all, I'm, I'm terrible. How could I doubt the God of the universe? We feel bad about that. We feel like God pulls away. I think if we're honest, we're all like Thomas at times. Right? We doubt. We're not sure that this thing called Christianity that we throw our whole lives at is true. Jesus comes into our lives and he, he offers peace, but then we say, no, no, I'm like Thomas and I need proof. We all wrestle with doubt, right? And it can show up in weird ways, depending on who you are, right? Maybe you wrestle with questions like where, where science and faith kind of interact and you're like, well, there are some people, some people who study this who say, well, the earth it might be millions or hundreds of millions of years old, and what about this thing called evolution? But then you're like, well, can I, can I believe that? And can I be a Christian? Or how, how does that stuff come together? Or maybe you think, like what Pastor Chris Dolson talked about a couple weeks ago, and there's this idea of unanswered prayer, and we go to God over and over and over, and he says, I'll answer your prayers, but, but then we get request denied, request denied, request denied. And what do we do with that? Or there's the problem of evil and suffering in the world. Right? We, we read the pages of Scripture and we hear these sermons preached about how good God is and, and how all-powerful and sovereign. But then we look at the world and it's just a mess and terrible things happen all over. And then we look at the Bible itself and, you know, we open the pages of the Old Testament and we read these stories of God. And um, he seems pretty different from the New Testament God at times, right? He seems like he's kind of angry and like he lets his people get overrun or he uses his people to kill a bunch of his enemies. And, and we think, well, what's that about? Because in the New Testament, it looks like God is all forgiving and he's loving. And how, are these really the same God? And how do we reconcile that? And, 
And just for clarity, God is the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's loving and forgiving. But, but as we come to those questions, we, we don't know what to do. And, and it leads us to this place of doubt, right? And we think, is this, is this really real and true? And, and do I really want to believe it? Well, that's where Thomas was. He told his friends in verse 25 emphatically that he would not believe unless he could touch the risen Jesus. Unless my question is answered definitively, I will not believe. He was really struggling to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. <clears throat> and in his struggle, Jesus met him. Jesus met him. Peace be with you, he says in verse 26. Come and experience what you need to believe. And then at the end of verse 27, he says, now stop doubting and believe. And yielding to that call, Thomas does. He believes and he fully trusts in Jesus as Lord and God. Now, Jesus has ascended, right? And, and when you cry out to him for proof of his existence, he's not always going to answer. He's not always going to give it to you like you want. Certainly, uh, he's most likely not going to give it to you like he did Thomas, right? He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's not here physically uh, anymore. And so, but, but did you know that like Thomas, Jesus moves towards you in your doubt? He was towards you in your doubt. He's not intimidated by your questions. He's not intimidated by your struggles or your fears or your pain or your sin, even sins that you struggle with over and over and over again for long periods of time. He doesn't ask you to check your brain at the door, and when you pull away from him for whatever reason, he doesn't do the same. He doesn't pull away from you. Instead, he moves towards you. Jesus gently and tenderly and in meekness, as we heard last week, moves towards you in order to bring peace into your life that is beyond what you can imagine. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But for now, notice what Jesus says in verse 29. Then Jesus told him, that is Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So on the one hand, Jesus says, you, Thomas, have seen me, and as a result, you've believed. Good. Good. You've seen me. You've believed. This is a good thing. But on the other hand, he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus here pronounces a blessing for those who have not seen him resurrected and yet believe. That's us. Right? That's basically all Christians for the last 2,000 years or so since Jesus ascended. None of us have seen Jesus physically resurrected. We've seen lives changed by the gospel. We've heard testimonies and seen people baptized and our lives and our hearts and the hearts and lives of those around us have been changed by the Holy Spirit. We've experienced fellowship and intimacy with God as we get to know him through his word and, and we've worshipped him, but we've not seen him with our eyes, Right? And to those, Jesus says, the ones who believe and have not seen, Jesus says, blessed are those. Blessed are those. Well, what does that mean exactly, to be blessed? Because it doesn't feel like this is true. Or if we're honest, I think we'd rather have Jesus come stand right here and I could get off the stage and he could give the message and we could see his hands and his sight. We could know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this thing that we're believing into is true. But Jesus says, if you haven't seen and yet you believe, you're blessed. So, so what does that look like? 
Well, Dr. Eric Tully, uh, a professor of Old Testament at our seminary, Trinity, uh, the EFCA seminary in Deerfield, he's preached here um, a few times. You may remember him. And he shared uh, an illustration that changed the way that I think about what it means to be blessed. Sometimes we think about blessed as happy, right? And some translations even use the word happy at times uh, for the word blessed. And I think happy maybe captures a little bit of it, but it's kind of a miss if we think that being blessed means that we're happy. Dr. Tully encouraged Crossview uh, in one of his sermons to think about blessed not as being happy, but as being set up for something good. Being set up. The idea of blessed as set up. So consider a couple of uh, scenarios with me. On one side of town, we have a family, a husband and wife are sitting down and they're doing their budget and they're looking at their finances and they see all this money that they've been able to accumulate over the last few years. They've worked really hard for it and they've built up, uh, you know, some a cash stash, so to speak, and, uh, and they're really excited because they want to go on this vacation. They've been hoping to go on a vacation and so they're on the internet clicking through, looking at beaches or mountains and trying to decide where they're going to go and um, they have all this money and they're, they're really happy because they're, they're thinking about the things that are going to come. But what they don't know is that in their mailbox out in front of their house is a tax bill for a huge sum because for the last five years, they've accidentally underpaid their taxes. And so that savings that they built up is going to go poof. They're happy, right? But they're not set up for anything good. On the other hand, we have a couple across town, a similar situation. They're sitting down and they're doing their budget and, and they're looking and they're like, oh, I don't know what we're going to do here because my kid needs to be registered for soccer and uh, she needs new cleats and, and my boy needs a new baseball bat and glove and we got t-ball registration and, all, and, and I don't know how we're going to pay for this and we have to put food on the table and, and, and good food uh, costs a fair amount. And there, there's more month than there is money again. And they're thinking, what, what are we going to do? And, and they're very unhappy. There may be tears as they work through that or on that table, right? But in their mailbox, sitting just behind them out on the front of their house, is a check from a rich uncle for an enormous amount of money. And all of their financial stress and worry is about to go poof. Now, they're not happy in that moment, but they are set up, even if they don't know it yet. Those who yield to the call of Christ to stop doubting and believe even though they haven't seen him, are in Jesus' own words, blessed. They're set up beyond their wildest imagination, even if their current life circumstances don't look like it. See, your life might be really tough, right? We experience loss of friends and family, sometimes because of old age and sometimes way too soon and in unexpected ways. We experience financial struggles, right? And we, we struggle to keep our head above water and we can barely keep up, let alone get ahead. We struggle to reconcile what the world looks like and what our life experience is with what the Bible says it should be. Jesus says, when you believe anyway, when you believe in spite of those questions and doubts and struggles, you're blessed. You're set up. Why? Well, because Jesus was raised from the dead as the first fruit, Scripture says, from among the dead, and faith in him means that one day, too, you will be resurrected like him to new life. You'll be pulled up out of this mess and brought into life that you'll experience in fullness and in abundance as it was intended to be 
face to face in intimacy with the Father apart from sin and death and pain and guilt and shame and suffering and yes, even wondering and wrestling with life's tough questions. And so when you believe, when you reject doubt and decide to follow after Jesus, you are blessed. You are set up in eternity. This theme continues in verses 30 and 31, if you'll look back there with me. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. John didn't write down everything that Jesus did. But these things that he did record are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Well, the purpose statement of the book of John right here reiterates exactly what Jesus just said, right? This book wasn't written for us so that we could memorize some cool facts and like we always think there's going to be this pop quiz about the Bible and things coming up and we got we to gotta know our Bibles. We, that's, that's not the point of all of this, right? It says that these things were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. One seminary professor summed up this statement, sort of the purpose statement uh, of John, is laying out the life of Jesus, right? You're sitting across from John at a coffee shop, and he's just told you about Jesus' birth and, and his life and the miracles and his ministry and the forgiveness of sins and the driving out of demons. And then you get towards the end, and Jesus dies, and then you hear, well, actually, he raised from the dead, and he defeated death and sin once for all. And you can believe and have life in his name, and and the whole, book of John, the whole book of John is about this. And he, and he says, John looks at you and he says, so you've heard all this. Now, what do you think? What are you going to do with that? And uh, you just kind of look at him and you're like, uh, I, I don't know. I, I got some questions. I, yeah, I'm not sure. And John looks up from whatever he's looking at and he says to you, just believe, darn it. Just believe. That's the whole purpose of this book. It's the whole purpose of Scripture and of this message and of really the whole Christian life that we would walk out our faith, that we would interact with God's Word and who He is in such a way that we would move from unbelief to belief and that as a believer we would continue to walk with Jesus day after day, that we would choose to believe in Him in spite of our life circumstances. So what does that belief look like? Well, it's declaring, like Thomas, that Jesus is Lord and God. He's sovereign ruler over every aspect of our lives. And that recognition that Jesus is Lord and God and that he's sovereign comes with some implications and expectations, right? Because Jesus' call to you to stop doubting and believe is not merely intellectual belief, right? It's a belief into something. It's a faith with action. Think about this with me. If I say, I believe I'm a good dad, does that statement alone make me one? Of course not, right? Of course not, because I can say those words. I can say, I believe I'm a good dad, and then I can go home and I can treat my kids poorly. I cannot care about their needs. I can be present in the room with them, but, but sort of absent and distant, and I can never discipline them, and I can never tell them about the love of Christ, and I can never forgive them, and, and I can not model what it's like to love their mom, my wife, really well. But if I said those words, right, I believe I'm a good dad, well, that must make me one. Uh, of course not. And yet, this is how many approach the Christian life. It's how many approach the Christian life, right? I believe in Jesus, but, well, 
gathering as his body, as his bride, gathering as the church, well, that's not for me. After all, I can have a strong relationship with God and, and never gather as he's told me to do so. He understands, right? We see these posts so circle social media all the time, and maybe we've shared it and felt that sentiment, like I don't really need the church in order to have a relationship with God. I'm a Christian, but, you know, nothing in my life has really changed. Like I'm one of those inward Christians, not an outward one. I'm more introverted, not extroverted. So nobody, nobody in my workplace or my school or my home really needs to know that I'm a Christian. I, I, I just kind of keep that to myself. My life hasn't really changed. Sure, I read my Bible once in a while, but it kind of stays in my head. Or it doesn't, but at least I did my quiet time, and so that must earn me something. And and, and I, you know, I, I don't need to take the calls of Jesus to take seriously my holiness or, or to be a light to the world, to my friends and family and neighbor. That stuff's just not for me. I don't need to take that seriously. I'm not, I'm not wired that way. And God knows my heart, and that's not really my jam, and, and that's okay. And he knows why I can't take his word and live like he's told me to. You see the problem? It falls apart pretty quickly, doesn't it? Because remember, faith is not merely intellectual belief. It's a belief into something. It's faith with action. Now, can I decide that I want to be a good dad? And can I say, I'm a good dad, and I can go home, and I can love my kids really well, and I can be patient with them and understanding, and I can correct them and discipline them, and I can love their mom really well, and I can teach them about Christ's love and about forgiveness and all of those things, and, and I can wrestle with them on the floor and play games with them. And, and can I have it be true when I say I believe that I'm a good dad? Absolutely. Absolutely I can. But, but uttering the words, I'm a good dad, without living that out in some way, no more makes me a good dad then praying some empty prayer and saying, I believe in God makes me a Christian if I continue to walk in sin and don't make any effort to walk with Jesus. See, the belief that Christ demands is all-encompassing. It's engulfing, right? It requires sacrifice and commitment and thinking of ourselves less and others and Christ more. It means surrendering our desires and our goals and our wants and our whole life moment by moment to Jesus. It means that he must become greater and I must become less. Believing into Jesus is no small commitment, right? This belief in following after Christ and becoming a Christ follower was never meant to be something that we boil down to the bare minimum, right? Here's what I have to do just to scrape by so that I can make sure I get in to heaven. That's not what believing in Christ is like. In fact, for Thomas, who here declares that he believes in Jesus as his Lord and as God, uttering that may have been a death sentence for someone like him, as the Romans or Jews came after him for placing his trust in Jesus. His confession was making a decision with his whole life, with his whole being, his heart, his soul, his mind. Everything up to and including martyrdom was now on the table for Thomas. That's what it means to believe. Belief in Christ requires that we dive headfirst, fully in. It's not like saying, I believe in UFOs and never kind of investigating that. It's not like saying, I believe in democracy and never voting. Believing in Jesus requires faith with action. So how does that 
play out. Well, John says that these things are written that we may know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and we read that Thomas says he's my Lord and my God. Well, Jesus is the long-awaited Savior of the world, right? The one by whom God has restored and is restoring and will restore all things to himself. He, Jesus, is the rescue plan. The world is a mess, right? And our lives are a mess and our sin which we are at times painfully and acutely aware of, is awful. We're aware of that. We, we know. But Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, he is the solution to that problem. And so how do we gain those benefits? How do we become blessed or set up and have our lives transformed in eternity? Well, it's by heeding the call of Jesus to Thomas to stop doubting and believe. It's not as complicated as we often want to make it, right? Just listen to those words from Jesus. He says, stop doubting and believe. Hear the call of the Spirit as he draws you to the Father by the blood of the Son and believe. It's simple, right? Because whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever, the call of Christ to you right now is the same. It's the same. Stop doubting and believe. Just decide. Just decide to stop doubting and believe into Jesus. We do this with all sorts of things in our lives, right? But then we want to overcomplicate and hyper-spiritualize and overthink this idea of following after Jesus and making a decision to do so, right? We decide uh, to take the plunge and get married, right? We make a commitment to another broken, sinful person that we're going to love them for better or worse as long as we both shall live. And is that messy? Yep. And is that difficult at times? And do we struggle through that sometimes? Of, of course we do. And do we doubt our ability to stick with it? Do we doubt our ability to love that person as they deserve? Do we, do we at times doubt whether that person loves us like we think we deserve? Of course. And yet, we do it anyway, right? We dive in and we go for it and we make that commitment. Or we pick a career, Right? We're not sure what we're cut out for. We're 17, 18 years old, and, and we're trying to figure out, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And we, we think about that, and we maybe pray about it. Hopefully we do. But we just decide to go for something, right? Doctor or lawyer or HVAC or plumber or teacher or stay-at-home parent or pastor or administrative type. We looked at the options, and then we made a decision, and we say, this is the direction that my life is going to go. And we throw ourselves into that thing to the best of our ability. Jesus says to you today, stop doubting and believe. Just decide. Decide to follow him. Can you talk yourself out of that as you wrestle with tough questions and say, well, I, I just, I can't. Of course you can talk yourself out of it. Can you let the chance that you might be wrong about this, that Christianity might not be true, can you say, well, I'm just not totally sure. And you can be like Thomas and say, well, I need absolute proof. And can you let that convince you that you shouldn't believe? Yeah, you could do that. You could talk yourself out of it. On the other hand, can you look at the options in front of you? Can you look at the lives changed in this room? And you, we saw people baptized and we heard their stories and we're going to hear another one. And, and can you... Look at the way that this body worships in song and in fellowship. And can you feel how God's word tugs at your heart? And can you decide, I'm all in. Come what may, I'm following Jesus to the end. Yes, 
You can make that decision to follow after Jesus too. And in my experience, if you decide to follow after Jesus and throw yourself all in on him, you will never regret it a day in your life. Doesn't mean your life is going to immediately get easier. It probably won't. There's still going to be difficulty and struggle. But Jesus will give you peace that is beyond anything you can understand and joy that you cannot experience apart from him. There's a question that we asked earlier that we haven't really answered yet, and that's the question that's kind of summarized in, is, is believing in Jesus any good? Like, great, I can do this thing and I can decide, but do I really want to? Is it really worth believing in Jesus? Are there any benefits of following after Christ? Well, we heard a testimony earlier of how Jesus changed Kelly's life, and you, you saw the four others who were baptized, and you know that their lives have been impacted by the gospel. But there's one more story I want you to hear this morning. And so I'm going to invite Barry up to share his story of how God encountered him and how he came to trust in Jesus. into your sight. My Lord, my rock, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I am a family man. Uh, I was born and raised, raised in church. I'm a veteran. I'm a general contractor, and I'm a farmer. Uh, went to church every Sunday growing up as a kid. I sang in a church choir until I was 17 years old, even though I didn't really want to. Uh, things that happened to me as a boy made me start to be angry at God. The things I seen in the church, the hypocrisy of people in the church that would go to church on Sunday and be somebody else six days a week started to make me angry at God. So I moved further away. I gave my testimony here a few weeks back at my cousin's church up in the UP, and since then I have, be, I have realized that it's not my story. It is about what God can do, and what God can do in my heart, and in your heart. So I'm going to fast forward here about 40 years, until a couple years ago, uh, doing construction work, uh, being a farmer, uh, busy seven days a week from the sun come, time the sun comes up till the time the sun goes down. And being angry at God really wears a person down. I can tell you about all the sin from my past of being a biker, doing all different kinds of things in the past. But it's not about me, it's about God. So over the past few years, I started getting angrier and angrier. A recreational use of cocaine turned into an almost daily use of cocaine to get me through the struggles and through my daily schedule that I was doing. And then I would use, consume a large amount of alcohol at the end of the day just so I could get some rest and do it all over again. I would blame God. I would try getting through things. Things would never go right. I would not have a good day, so I would blame God. 
I would stand up and openly curse God and openly challenge God. Last year, middle of summer, I'm having a meltdown. And I'm out in my yard. I'm cursing at God. I'm cursing at the sky. And I'm challenging him. Bring it on, old man. I don't quit. This is all you got. And Michelle is looking at me. And she says to me, you're not going to win. She is right. I wasn't going to win. Every day I was getting sick of things. I was getting sick of my friends. I was getting sick of my family. I was destroying my marriage. I had it off. Every morning I would wake up angry. Just another day. Just another day that God is going to make me go through this. The few times that Michelle would get me to come to church here at Crossview, I would sit here and look at my watch because I had things to do. But as I left here, I would be thinking to myself, was God talking to me or did everybody else hear exactly what I did? So August 21st of last year, it's a Sunday night. I am exhausted. I've got, I've got fresh cut hay in the ground. The work next day is Monday. I gotta go back to work. I've been working nonstop for days and days and days. There was no vacation. So I walk in the house late at night. I walk past Michelle and I go straight to the bedroom and I collapse sideways on the bed and I fall asleep. I had been sleeping for a while. And I heard a voice say, why are you here? And it woke me up. I look at my phone, my phone is off. I'm looking at the TV, the TV is off. I'm in the room, the door closed, I'm alone. And I heard the voice again, why are you here? And I knew then what I was experiencing. I knew then who was talking to me. And then he said to me, I am always here for you. Since I was a kid, a 17-year-old kid in boot camp, I've always tried to hide my emotions, not show fear, not show emotion. That night I was terrified. I was scared. I was afraid to fall asleep. But for the first time over 40 years, I felt peace. I felt peace and I felt love that only God could give. I couldn't tell anything to Michelle. I figured she would ridicule me and tell me to have another drink. So I went out the next day, I go to work and I get in my truck and I turn on my radio and it's playing Christian music. I had never listened to Christian music before. And that's all I've listened to since. I have told people in the past, I believe in God, and I know that someday I will stand in front of God and I will be judged. And I'm going to go to hell. And I'm going to spend eternity in hell. 
but I've got questions I want answered. So for the next couple weeks, I'm asking these questions, and I'm getting the answers. I would have a train of thought here, and God would answer here. And this is going on for a couple weeks. I was getting the answers I was searching for. And one night, I'm out in my shop, about 10 o'clock at night. I have, I'm doing some work, and I have Christian music playing on my radio. There is a music artist, Ben Fuller, who has a song called Who I Am. And that song is about how he looks in the mirror, and he doesn't like the man who's looking back at him. And how God changed him. That song put me on my knees. And I turned everything over to Christ. I was done. I was messing up. I couldn't do it on my own. I gave it all to him. Everything instantly changed. Everything instantly changed. Everything that I was searching for, struggling with, everything I tried to do for the past 58 years was with me the whole time. And all I had to do was ask. Romans 1, 16. <laughs> Romans 1, 16 says, I am not afraid of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for all those who believe. If you're out here and you're struggling, if you're going through the pain and the anger that I went through, if you're going through your own struggles, if you're dealing with stuff that you can't handle, turn it over to God. Just turn it over to Him. It doesn't make you a weak person, it'll make you a stronger person. If God can change me, He can change you. He is there waiting. His arms are open for you. All you gotta do is ask. He's there waiting for you, and He loves you. Thank you, Barry. Um, Barry didn't say this, but that's uh, the abridged version of his story. There's a lot more to that, and uh, he loves to share the story of how Jesus has changed his life. Uh, and so if, you're, if something pulled on your heart and you want to hear more uh, of how Jesus changed his life, he would love to talk to you about that. Jesus moved towards Barry in his struggle and in his doubt and in his difficulty. You heard about Jesus encountering him where he was at, and you're faced with the same decision that Barry was. Will you believe in Jesus? You've seen people baptized. You've heard of lives changed. You know that there's freedom and peace and joy in him. There's freedom from hopelessness and from meaninglessness and from wondering if your life really matters. There's freedom from the power and penalty of sin both in this life and the next. Jesus can call you out of fear and worry and anxiety and addiction and, and sin into new life with him. He'll deliver you from those things so that you can experience life fully as it was intended. 
So the question is, will you enter into a relationship? Will you believe in Jesus so that everything will change? If that's a question that you're wrestling with this morning, come talk to me afterwards. I would love to explain the gospel to you and tell you how you can be sure that you will exist in heaven with God for all of eternity. Talk to Barry after. He would love to talk to you. Talk to someone who looks like they might belong here and they can point you in a direction to talk to somebody about how you can place your faith in Jesus today. Send an email. Make a phone call this week. Uh, today, don't, don't let the sun set as you wrestle with these questions of should I make a decision to follow Jesus, move towards him. And believer, brother, sister, will you continue to believe in Jesus with your life? Satan and his demons and the world are trying to distract you and trying to cause you guilt and fear and worry and doubt and cause shame so that you throw your hands up and say, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it for me to throw my life into this thing anymore so that you walk away. You don't have to listen to that message. You don't have to go down that path and reject Christ. It's good and right instead to turn to God and say to him, though I don't see you, yet I believe. Though I don't feel you, yet I believe. Though my life is difficult and my struggles are real and I struggle with sin again and again and again. God, your word says that you love me and that you redeem me and that you move towards me and I'm going to choose to believe that instead of the lies. Though I struggle to reconcile my current circumstances with your promises, God, I believe. Friends, run the race with endurance. Run the race with endurance. Stop doubting and believe. Make the decision today either to follow Jesus for the first time or to continue following after him day after day after day for the rest of your life in spite of what your circumstances look like. There is immeasurable joy and peace to be had in a relationship with Jesus. Because remember, blessed or set up are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let's pray.